Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Cross Survival Podcast. Hey, I got a special guest in the uh, podcast studio today, which it's not really a studio, it's just a, a room with a table. <laughs> um, but I like to say studio because it sounds fancy. Um, I just got off the uh, uh, off the trail. I say trail because we were in the back trails with Rigid Industries with Kurt Hohan, Rigid and Taps Media filming for the uh, torture test video. Really good time. We're exhausted. We're smoked. Um, but wanted to come in the studio because we got an important guest that came out of town and he's here today and his name is Steve Hogan. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thanks for having me in, man. Yeah, I appreciate having you here. What, what we're talking about today is something that uh, me and Kurt uh, really believe in as far as, uh, I don't even like to use the word promotion, it's awareness, right? We, we talk about veteran uh, advocacy issues. Um, you know, last weekend we were with uh, Daryl from SD Tactical at a uh, auto car show that, that benefited a woman who lost her sons. Also, um, just recently on the podcast, we had a, a, a veteran, um, and we, we want to always push uh, for the advocacy of veterans and veteran-related issues. And today on this podcast, it's a little bit different than a norm because uh, we actually are talking to Steve, and we're talking about his son that he lost uh, in the global war on terror. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a difficult topic to discuss. We talked before the podcast and it's hard for me to even, uh, I don't even, it's hard for me to even compose the words to uh, illustrate how difficult it is. Um, but the point of a, the podcast is to, you know, tell you a story. You know, I want you to understand the emotional connection of, of Steve and his son. And, you know, I want to give you background context and, and let it hit home to the realities that uh, the United States live in. A lot of people live in their bubbles and complacency and, they're really detached from what's going on, uh, especially when it comes to the sacrifice of men and women who are serving the country to protect those freedoms uh, that they so easily uh, contain in complacency. So, Steve, um, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to give me your background, where you grew up, uh, you know, where you're from. Also, uh, you know, what, what industry and space you're in. Just give me a little bio on yourself. Uh, born in Nebraska, um, lives Ended up graduating high school in Indiana. Uh, that's where where Hunter was born. Pretty much an agriculture background. Um, did uh, four years in the Marine Corps. Uh, came back, got right back into agriculture. Ended up getting married. Um, had one child, uh, HD. Um, we ended up, him and his mom, we got divorced. Hunter ended up staying with me. So we were... We're on the road rodeoing all the time together, um, pretty much a mini-me. Uh, if you saw me, you, every, and Hunter wasn't around, everybody, where's HD at? Um, you know, started taking him hunting early. I mean, he was still on breast milk. I'd have him in my Marine Corps Alice pack going out bow hunting. and um, He got into rodeo, uh, started putting him on bull calves when he was four years old, and... Uh, he started riding pro bucking horses when he was 13, 14 years old. I mean, um, you know, and that's kind of the direction he was going. You know, he was always intrigued with the military and the Marine Corps. And, and our family has got a huge history of veterans uh, all the way back to the start of the country, really. Um, so that was always an important aspect of his life. I didn't know how important until his senior year in high school. Um, Ford, I don't know, do you want to go on with, with Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, you gave well, me the, the... I don't know. I don't like talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he had four different colleges uh, offering full ride scholarships to be on the rodeo team, riding bulls and broncs. And I uh, kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, we were getting towards the end of his senior year and uh, – I'm kind of pushing him, you need to pick a school, pick a school, and, and just, it was about two months before graduation, we had the conversation again, I'm like, you know, look at Oklahoma Pandano State, that's a good Bronx school, you know, good Bronx coaches, yada, yada, and um, and he did, he, he visibly took a couple of steps back, and I don't know what he was expecting, but I, I know it was to get out of my arm reach, like I was telling you earlier, and, and he says, uh, I think I'm going to join the Marine Corps, Dad. I think I'm going to join the Marine Corps like you did. And um, we had a pretty heated discussion for a while. And 
you know, I, I basically wanted him not to just give me a BS story. He wanted to join the Marine Corps because I did. And, uh, you know, I got him, got him talking. And, and I was, a, during the whole conversation, I'm pushing him. Free college education, man. Go get that college piece of paper. If you still want to join the Marine Corps, go in as an officer, you know. At least live a little better than I did while Smart I was advice. in, you know. Yeah. And uh, he came back with uh, a pretty profound statement. He said, uh, you know, um, our family's been involved in virtually every conflict this country's ever been in, all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And uh, it's just not fair for me to go off to college and rodeo and ride bulls and chase girls and drink beer while guys my age are fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, what do you, what do you say to that? Yeah. And it's, it, it's a selfless, um, a selfless act. And, you know, he voluntarily stepped up the plate, had it in his mind that he wanted to serve. Where, where do you think he, where did that, in, you know, where did you instill that into your boy as, as, as he grew up? Because, you know, a lot of I, I get a lot of questions mm -hmm. on, hey, I want to serve, but my parents don't want me to s serve. And I tell them that, hey, it's a it's a in, it's a personal um, trait. It's a personal individual responsibility for you to serve this country. And where did you did you, you know, teach him that along the way? We, we discuss politics a lot. Um, he even at a young age was into politics, which was kind oh, really? of odd. He yeah, was into yeah. history, um, not so much about the wars, but why did they start? What mm -hmm. happened two years prior to to bring it to that point? Um, and he was never, it, it was actually, even when he was four or five years old, it was like having an 80-year-old man in your house. Um, even his wife used to joke about that. My God, I married an 80-year-old man in a 21-year-old <laughs> body, you know. Um, he was just always so mature. There was never any, not a lot of, you know, just he he played. He was a normal kid, yeah, yeah. but there was always a seriousness about him. Um, you know, and you you go in. He may be watching some cartoon one night, and you walk in the room the next time, and he's watching Fox News, and it's like you're eight. Um, what, what's the deal? <laughs> oh no, you need to check this out, Dad. Well, you know, and he'd be all about what's going on in Korea or wherever. Yeah. Um, he just always had that interest. Um, you know, just stepping back a little bit, the last conversation we, the part of the conversation that we had when he was telling me he wanted to join, and and after he gave me a spiel about our family, his last comment to me, and he backed up again, and he said, uh, "Seems to me there was another dumbass in this family that turned down a full ride scholarship and joined the Marine Corps." He said, "Oh yeah, that was you, wasn't it, Dad?" So That's at that awesome. point, yeah. it was you know, yeah, whatever. Um, that's amazing. So how did how did uh, he get into rodeo? How did that start? Is that something that he got into? Uh, we had some friends. We did a lot of trail riding, horseback riding and stuff. And uh, I, a, a business acquaintance of mine was he had kids and, and helped start a junior rodeo association. So we jumped on board the very first year and took HD down and it was... Oh yeah, you know, and of course the movie Eight Seconds about Wayne Frost, mm -hmm. and we, you know, we were always kind of rodeo oriented anyway, and um, that's that's where it went. And he had, you know, it takes guts, obviously, in that 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 space to to step up and do that, and um, a lot of discipline as well. Is that something that he you instilled into him to to focus and? I mean, or, or was it natural for him? <laughs> that brought up something. He after boot camp, he said. If I hear attention to detail one more time, he said, I've heard it from you my whole that's life. Awesome. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, yeah, I was probably a strict dad, um, but uh, there was reward for, for doing the right thing. And, um, you know, he worked. He worked hard as a young kid, putting up hay, cleaning out stalls, you know, uh, you know, cleaning out stalls when the shovel handle's taller than he is. And I'm like, it's your horse. Get in there, you know. That's awesome. Just trying to instill some responsibility um, and responsibility for your actions when you do screw up. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lack of that. I think, uh, not to get off on another tangent, but parenting, you know, everybody says kids nowadays. It's not kids nowadays. It's parents nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know. No. You reap what you sow. 
Absolutely. Is is um was that his dream? Did he always want to be a like like you? He wanted to be a marine, or was was there something else? What were his passions when he looked at you know his ten twenty year plan? If he had one, what did he want to be? Growing up, uh, yeah. If you go back and look at the pictures, he emulated me in yeah every way. Um, you know, we were tight. Um, yeah, he was my son. I was his dad, and um, I played the role as dad. It wasn't just buddy buddy all the mm-hmm. time, you know. Um, but yeah, we were always together. So, uh, his plan uh, after he he said, "I just want to do four years, see how it goes." But he said, "I'm more than likely going to get out. We'll come back to Nebraska." find a job, work for you, go to college. But he said, get back to rodeoing again. Um, when he was killed in Afghanistan, he had about two weeks left to go on his tour over mm-hmm. there. And he was close enough to getting out of the core that we were starting to look for a house for him and his wife in Nebraska. So, you know, that was kind of a punch in the gut, definitely. Um, but, uh, there were so many young men that were lost that week. Um, you know, Tragic, definitely, um, but our family's been blessed with a unbelievable support system, um, and with what we've been able to do since trying to turn a, a negative into a positive. When he um, when he went off to serve and he went to basic training, he was I'm assuming eight right out of high school, eighteen years old. Yes, sir. Eighteen years young, um, and then you said he was married. Did he? Ha- he had a uh, yeah, actually he met Brittany, um, when he was stationed in California and she was a wedding planner in Hollywood. So, uh, they talk about opposites attracting there about as opposite as you could ever, mm-hmm. ever you, get. You said LA, so that's all you had. Tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's, she's gone on and done some fantastic things. And, uh, after HD was killed, um, she struggled definitely. Uh, hard for that first year and she uh, has her own company now that's a nonprofit. Uh, she gives money back to our foundation and to the USO and does a, actually a lot for veterans out in California uh, last year she was the chairperson in San Diego for Toys for Tots with the Marine Corps Reserve um, she was on the actually on national TV with Montel Williams for the Hollywood Christmas Parade and um, so she's going on and, and, and doing positive things too, since this happened. So Hunter Dalton Hogan, when he, when he, uh, got out of basic training, what was his MOS? What was his job specialty? Uh, 0311 infantry. 0311. Um, actually, this is another, just, uh, to show the character of this young man, um, in boot in Marine Corps boot camp, you go through the crucible. Mm-hmm. The morning of the crucible, he blew out his MCL and ACL, made it through the entire crucible with a blown knee. I, I don't know how the heck he did it. Um, came home for ten days on leave, had to go back out to California. They reconstructed his knee. He is he stuck at the Marine recruit depot as an active duty Marine, but you're still. Oh, on, yeah. at boot camp yeah he was stuck there for a little over a year Ooh. while he healed I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, and they're pushing him the the navy doctors are pushing him they're all pushing him you know you're going to get a medical discharge i mean the kid knew how much money they were going to give him the rest of his life oh yeah and all he did was go through boot camp and, yeah. and it it stuck in his crawl yeah. that's the, not a reward that's a punishment yeah. Right yeah and he fought through it um he ran two or three PFTs in one week, uh, physical, Marine physical yeah. fitness tests, to prove to him that he could go on. Um, when he's looking at a free ride the rest of his life, how many guys would fight against that? Mm-hmm. Um, from there, he went to uh, the School of Infantry at Camp Pendleton, uh, went out to Lejeune. He, got, he was with 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. Um, went out to 290 Palms. Beautiful, beautiful T Niner Palms for some desert warfare training. Oh man! Um, went back to Lejeune. He went through Hunter Tracker School uh, with a. Actually, his instructor was an Army Vietnam Tracker. Uh, learned a lot there, and then deployed to uh, Helmand Province in Afghanistan. What year was that? Two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. 
I was in um, I was in Libya in 2012, but I remember 2012 was the surge, one of the surges, right yes. in southern Afghanistan, uh, and it was a big push, and it was a uh, crazy politically during that time period because it was like the reinvasion of Afghanistan because everything that we had worked so hard for had been neglected. And then uh, I know uh, I have many friends and all the special forces groups and even some regular army friends that were um, involved with that. But the Marines as a main body, as a main element, uh, were the main effort. I remember that pushing through every single village in southern Afghanistan. And I'm assuming HD was part of that movement, part yes. of that those platoons and those companies uh, driving forward. So how long was his deployment that he uh, he got hit? Uh, I think he deployed January 13th, and he was killed on 23 June. Uh, he was over there six months. Okay. And you told me uh, uh, the circumstances in which he was two weeks out from redeploying, coming home. And uh, if you care to share the story, you know, it, it's completely up to you. Uh, tell me the circumstances in which he was killed. Um, he had contacted me, I think we spoke five days before he was killed. And, uh, he said, uh, you know, I got one more mission, you know, it's, it's going to be a bad one. And, uh, him and I, we, we had worked out a deal before he deployed, uh, same thing that me and my father did code words where we could talk on the phone. So. My dad would know, you know, if I said happy birthday yeah. and it's not his birthday, he knew I was here, or, you know, yeah. yada, yada. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of, of course, that whole six months, I'm, I'm watching Afghan news on the Internet. Yeah. I'm watching every, you know, every country's news, trying to, you know, keep up with everything because we all know we can't trust our news here in the United States. 100%. 100%. I won't go down that road, but you know, I, I was digging through the internet the whole time. Now, were you engaged? Were you completely engaged this process through his whole deployment because you were worried as a father? Is that something that was definitely, yeah, you know, and and you know, a couple of different phone calls that we had, and and uh, you know, I, I knew what he was going through, yeah, and uh, but in that conversation, I said, uh, Oh my God, man, wouldn't it be nice to have you home and have a big glass of sangria wine? And he said, exactly. So I knew he was going to Sangin. And a uh, couple of days, well, two days later, I guess, uh, they had been in multiple firefights the entire, the entire, the next day after we talked. Um, his team leader was killed uh, about 18 hours before Hunter got killed. Um, he was killed that evening. Gino Mills was killed that evening. Um, the next morning, they went into a compound. Uh, they did have some ANA with them. Um, the Afghan National Army yes. does. Yep. Yeah. Um, everybody there uh, swore they thought it was one shot. It was actually three shots simultaneously. Uh, one shot. Hit, an, hit one of the ANA uh, carrying a, a DM rifle, hit him in the head, killed him instantly. Uh, one of them hit one of the medics. They, they targeted him. Uh, Hunter's carrying a DM rifle. They targeted him. Uh, he was killed instantly. And about a four-and-a-half-hour firefight ensued. Um, I mean, they were the guys were pretty much calling in Hellfire missiles on top of themselves to get out of there. Um, so pretty bad deal. Uh, very lucky that, that any of them boys got out of there. Um, and you've talked to the men that served with them that day that were there. We're still very close. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they're at the house all the time. These guys come out for different anniversaries, Hunter's birthday, Hunter's KIA date. They show up when we have put on different bull rides for the foundation. Um, so they've been very tight with, uh, my whole family from day one taught me through the uh and i know this is the most difficult part of uh any uh fatality that's uh that takes place in war i've been i've been subject to a few of those myself but the notification process how was the uh how did that take wow. place um 
actually we were getting ready for a huge family reunion in uh, Nebraska and uh, I was out in the barn getting a riding lawnmower together to mow the grass in case anybody ended up out at our place and uh, you know we live pretty I don't know our driveway is probably a quarter mile off the road we live out in the country nobody just comes out you know what I mean yeah uh, I could hear gravel crunching in the driveway. I poke my head out the door and I see a minivan coming coming down the driveway. And I'm like, eh, probably somebody lost one directions out of here, you know. So I stepped back into the barn and heard the van get close to the barn. And it started to turn and I glanced out and saw government license plates. Um, looked up and saw the two marine covers. Um, of course, you know bolted out of the door the guys were barely getting out of the van and i'm yelling and pointing at my marine corps tattoo and i'm a marine too is he dead is he wounded and you know uh those guys got the worst job worst job in the marine corps um and i'm just yelling at them and neither one of them are saying anything they're both standing at attention and uh I started cussing at the first sergeant. I said, frickin' tell me, you know, is he dead or is he wounded? And he didn't say anything. I said, is he dead? And he kind of went to a parade dress, nodded his head yes. And I went back. Hmm. Went back uh, behind the barn and I was picking up stuff that there's no way physically possible I could do that, you know. And uh, it hit me, you know, you know, you got to get your act together. They're on Brittany's door, too. So I did. Uh, came back around. I was perfectly calm. The first sergeant only said, he said, hey, you had your invisible dress blues on. Uh, and I, wa- I walked back up and I said, gentlemen, you know, I'm sure we got some paperwork to, to go through. I want to see the incident report. What's going on in the house? You know, it's like 95 degrees. And, um, of course, I, I was living alone at the time, so we stepped into the house, and those two guys, only they still laugh about it. They said, we were more scared in your house than during our tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. He said, because, uh, you know, you're so calm, and we walked in, and there's sniper rifles on the dining room table, pistols, you know, guns laying like everywhere, house, yeah. typical bachelor, <laughs> bachelor's house, and I'm like, can I get you guys a bottle of water? Uh, yeah, 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 you know, so I stepped around the corner, and... Uh, the gunny he's he that delivered the news i mean both those guys have become very close friends of mine and and check on me and um it's been a good relationship but uh gunny said when i went around the corner into the kitchen they're both looking at each other like you'd be ready what the heck's this guy to go oh, <laughs> you know yeah. and, and after you know a year down the road they're telling me how they were feeling i thought guys really you know and they said, man, you deliver this kind of news, you don't know what to expect. You get the denial, you get the the anger and the venting that comes back on these guys. Um, you know, and away we went. Uh, it was a whirlwind getting to Dover Air Force Base. Um, uh, probably the worst thing that day was Brittany wasn't home when the Marines showed up at their house. Uh, she had just re, redone a room, uh, made Hunter a, a man cave. You know, he's coming home in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So she was going to Raleigh, actually getting stuff for the house. And she was planning, a, she's a wedding planner, and she was getting some stuff for a wedding for a lady that, that she was contracted with. And uh, as I'm sitting there with the Marines and we're going through the paperwork, uh, my phone rings and it was, it was Brittany. And at this time, she didn't know. I said, "Guy, well, I mean, we know they coordinate yeah, that yeah. stuff. So you're because, thinking she knows. Yes. Yeah. So I said, guys, it's Brittany. I got to go. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, because they know that the, you know, they call each other. We're, we're a block away. I'm sitting on Steve's road. We're getting ready to knock on Brittany's door. Go. Um, and I answer the phone, and she's just screaming. So I'm figuring she knows. I know she knows. But I couldn't understand anything that she's saying. And uh, finally I said, she said something, they won't tell me, they won't tell me, they won't tell me, you know. And 
I can't hear anyway. Yeah, see my hearing aids laying there. Mm-hmm. But um, I said, I know, honey, he's gone. And so. You had to tell yeah. his wife. Yeah. You know, and I walked back in and I said, guys, you've screwed up. And they looked at me and they said, what? And I said, I just told Brittany. First sergeant up and he's gone and out the door um, calling down to North Carolina, which is where they lived. And sitting with that, that gunnery sergeant and I told him and I said, dude, I feel so sorry for you. And he's looking at me like, you know, you just lost your son. And I said, my God, you got the worst job. You know, so away we went, you know. Ended up at Dover. Um, and if people aren't familiar with Dover, that's the reception of uh, – it's the focal point for all casualties um, of war um, that get brought in, uh, typically C-17, like a large aircraft, and they have typically uh, – airplane side ceremonies and the families come to receive uh, their loved one. And so you went there. I'm assuming it's a whirlwind. I've been through that process Ugh. before. It's, it's painful. You're, they're dragging you around. You got a casualty assistant officer that's with you and just doing all this stuff. And it's, it's very difficult on families. How was that process for you? Um, the people at Dover were fantastic. Um, and they have... They have such a ch- tough job, and, and, you know, that's what they're doing. That's what they're dealing with every day. Um, you know, you have a mountain of paperwork to go through. Um, and I, I think it was easier for me being prior military. Um, I understand the process. I know what's going to happen. I know what's – so it, it made it easier for Brittany. I'm, I'm kind of, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. Um, you know, some of the tough questions and for, I I thought about that in retrospect, um, some of these families that aren't military, their sons or daughters were killed in Iraq or Afghanistan and going through that process and not having an understanding. I mean, the questions that you have to answer, what if we find more human remains of your your spouse, your child, uh, do you want to be notified? Do you want the body exhumed? Do you want, you know, on down the line? Um, and you know, how, how a family, um, you know, they're not going to be, uh, prepared for that. Um, you know, Brittany, it was, that part of it was tough. I mean, you're, you're answering, answering some pretty, pretty tough questions. Um, how old was uh, your son when he passed away? Uh, just shy of 22. So after, um, after he comes home, what, what happened? Where was he, where was he interred? Uh, Where'd you bring your boy home to? probably one of the most amazing receptions um you know our area in nebraska is so patriotic and uh can't thank the people in york nebraska for for what happened that day so many things were just taken care of um actually there's a a video with a song called Dress Blues on our website that uh, somebody put together and all of the footage is from HD's funeral. Um, the amount of Patriot Guard that, that were there and of course we had that uh, so-called church show up to protest. Um, you know, 
Patriot Guard and the community took care of that. Um, we had a man, a cow through our, and, and a lot of the funeral was put together through our, our veteran contacts with our veteran side of our family, our rodeo side of the family. We had a gentleman came up from Lubbock, Texas. Um, he does uh, like religious ceremonies with a white horse. Um, Hunter was taken from the church in a chuck wagon, um, a string of cowboys behind. Uh, all the Patriot Guard was already out there. Um, they led us into town from the little airport, but Patriot Guard was already out there at the uh, the cemetery uh, where a lot of my family members are already buried. Um, we had a had a flyover, but kind of a unique flyover, a P-51 Mustang from World War II. Oh, wow. Um, doing barrel rolls. Um, oh, it was a tough day uh, for all of us. Um, probably the toughest thing for me that day, um, you know, you're waiting for the word from Dover. Uh, when you have someone KIA, they all they have to go through the autopsy process out there before they send them home. And you're waiting for the word whether or not uh, it could be a closed or open casket. Um, Hunter was shot in the head, so, you know, we just thought there's no way. There's no way we'll get it seen. Um, the people at Dover, it came back open casket with approval. Um, and they did an unbelievable job. Um, probably the, the toughest thing that day uh, for me uh, was I, I had to be the one to decide whether it was going to be open casket. So that was tough. Um, but we were able to do that. Took Brittany in, took my parents in. Um, you know, and you think about how many of those families that uh, didn't get that opportunity. So, um, you know, with how the folks at Dover Air Force Base treated us and, and with everything that happened, I, I can't say enough or, or thank them enough. Now, one of the things I uh, we've talked about and communicated a couple times is how you could turn, you know, a tragedy into something positive. Um, and we never, you know, the world mostly works operating, not understanding that um, something tragic could happen to them in a, in a moment's time, you know. Over working on your lawnmower, you know, and your your life changes in a flash, and you had to make a decision, and you know whether you uh, understand that or not, you did, and the decision was either to uh, let the grief of being a uh, parent of your son who was killed in combat destroy you, or stand up and turn all that um, all that energy and do something to better uh, veterans human beings people and there's a lot of awareness that has come out of this situation um, when you started this foundation called the Hunter Hogan Foundation um, tell me about the Hunter Hogan Foundation it actually got started uh, the night we received his body at Dover. Um, you know, we were back at the hotel and uh, discussions going back and forth about, you know, my God, he was offered four fluoride scholarships. What if, what if, what if? And, you know, uh, my whole thing with everybody and his wife was, you know, he died doing what he wanted to do. Um, you know, we, we've got to respect that. Um, is that your, he, is that your feeling? Cause is that, is that, 
Is that how you felt when you were in the Marine Corps? Is it, was that a feeling that you had when, when you were serving? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, um, the discussion went on and, and finally I said, you know what? I said, uh, when I get up in the morning, I'll, I'll, let me call back to Nebraska and, and tell everybody in lieu of flowers, we wanted to give a, away a scholarship in his name to somebody going on to college rodeo. You know, and we're expecting to give away maybe a five hundred or a thousand dollar scholarship, and and we thought that would be it. We, you know, you're so tied up in dealing with with his death and and everything that's being thrown at you and decisions you have to make. Um, the thought process of what we're doing now was the farthest thing from our mind. Um, I work with a rodeo company putting on bull rides and we already had a bull ride scheduled and it was scheduled like four weeks after, after HD's KIA date, you know, and the, the guy that owns the, the rodeo company and the crew, everybody's like, do you want to go on with this? What do you want to do? You know, Hey, what if somebody says, Hey, that Lewin flowers thing, what if we turn it into an HD Memorial bull ride and see what happens? And I'm like, you know, we can't cancel the bull ride. Hunter, that would be one thing he would not want. You don't cancel a bull ride. I don't care if it's snowing, tornadoes, raining. That was Hunter, you know, it's, let's rodeo. Let's get dirty. Um, and that was my argument. I said, Hunter wouldn't want this thing canceled because he was killed in action. And uh, so we went forward with it at spur of the moment, changing the posters, doing the whole thing, and uh, put it on and... Um, it was about six, seven weeks after after HD's funeral. Um, Brittany comes running in with a bank statement. She's like, oh, she's yelling, pap, pap. You know, I'm like, what is going on? And, you know, there's like $7,000 in this account, this in lieu of flowers account. And she's like, uh, you know, what are we going to do now? And, and I started smiling at her and I said you know what I said let's let's run this up the flagpole let's see what we can do and uh, we started giving away scholarships just to kids going on to college rodeo um, and in five years of giving out these scholarships we've given out $31,000 scholarships across the nation um, we how we choose recipients we don't care boy or a girl as long as they were on their state high school rodeo team and they're going into their freshman year of college and going to be on that college's rodeo team. And what they have to do to get the scholarship, they have to write us an essay on what the sport of rodeo means to them and what being an American means to them. And I tell people, you know, we want to doubt our youth in this country. Come read some of these essays that get sent in to us. So it's a difficult process at the end of the year to to choose a winner. Um, we've silently been able to help some different veteran projects and, you know, some gold star deals. And we have really struggled trying to find, rather than create a whole new entity for the foundation, um, how to give back to the veteran heritage of our family. Um, we just kind of made a change this past year. We've added a page on the website where veteran and gold star nonprofit groups can apply to have us help them with, with our future events. Um, we just did a, a big benefit dinner with an auction and a bull ride, a two-day event this past summer, our first go at publicly uh, doing this to help a group. And um, we had some success. and. We're looking forward to next year. We've got some, of course, we're going to have some bull rides. Uh, my cousin and his wife do a sand volleyball tournament, and I remember the first year they were like, well, we're going to do this sand volleyball tournament. I'm thinking, eh, okay, whatever. So uh, we show up, and it is, it's been awesome. We do a, a very unorthodox golf scramble every year. You know, like most of my friends, they're all military or – rodeo guys and they're like golf you know and and uh, i said well it's kind of different i make up the rules on every hole um like teeing off this year the number one hole you had to wear a marine corps gas mask to tee off 
we have a hole where you've got to wear bull riding spurs and a bull riding vest to tee off. I have another hole where we kind of had to back off. I, I used to make them wear my plate carrier with plates with an Alice pack with a concrete block to tee off. Uh, there's a long par five. Your tee shot is with an AR-15 golf ball launcher. You shoot a ball a little over 300 yards. That's so, awesome. Um, you know, we're trying to do a lot of things and bring more awareness to to the term some gave all. Now, the uh, the website for this is um, um, search circlehdrodeo.org. Yes, sir. And that's where people go to uh, donate. That's where people go to... They find can, out more information. They can find out more information. Uh, there's information on how to apply for the essay. Um, we sell T-shirts and tactical gear and all kinds of stuff on, on the website. Uh, we do a, uh, a weapon every year. We started this five years ago, I believe. Um, we had a, a company uh, that built a rifle for us, and we sold them and raffled them off. Um, and had some success with it. And uh, in between that time, um, I met another gentleman named Daryl Cress with SD Tactical at SHOT Show. And we got to talking, and uh, they have been making our weapons now for four years. He designs them. We kind of agree on, let's do this, let's do that. And we sell them for about six months and also sell raffle tickets so people can either buy the weapon or they can buy a raffle ticket and take a chance on on winning it so you know we're pretty young for a foundation and haven't really we're still trying to we're trying all kinds of stuff some with success and some that we're never going to do that again you know and and that's that's part of it but We've came in contact with so many people um, across America and the people that have, have crossed our path and have got involved with us. Um, I mean, we've been truly blessed, and in a way, I guess it keeps me busy enough um, with what we're doing that it, it's, it's kind of been my, my grief counselor, so to speak. Um, always tough to tell the story. Um, you know, like we talked earlier before we, we started this podcast, you know, I can get out in front of two or 3000 people or whatever at a rodeo or whatever. And I can zip through, uh, zip through the story and, and I'm fine, but it's in, in, uh, these small groups where, you know, really hits home. And you're finding obviously a lot of purpose out of this and it's uh, changed your life. Um, how, how's your life now? What's your, what's your, uh, what's your status now? That's hard to answer. I mean, good days, bad days, uh, bad days. Uh, you kind of want to kick yourself in the butt and go, you know, HD's not going to want you, uh, being down, just pushing forward and trying to turn this, this negative into a positive. Um, you know, we had, you know, we had the conversation prior to the podcast and, um, you know, bluntly put, you know, but man to man, you know, and we communicate to each other, you know, it, it is a responsibility. It's a, it's a burden of responsibility that unfortunately happens in life. Um, and so often, so many times, uh, that responsibility, uh, is never executed on and in grief uh, at the loss of a child or or anybody uh it's it's what you do with that it's what you do with that that matters and like you said i mean just hearing you speak for a short period of time that i've known you, you just walked in the, the the room um um i'm proud of you for what you're doing yeah it's a it's another form of service. I mean, you served our country. You're, it's in your DNA. And so often, so many times in society, that's not how we operate anymore. And it's sad. It's tragic. Um, but there's so many, there's so many great things uh, that can come from this, that have come from this, whether it's um, 
memories that are shared, whether it's, um, you know, even the, even the, the tragic personal first hand account of, uh, your situation, if it wakes somebody's ass to up to get off their ass and do something to help somebody, um, then it's done a lot of good in the world. And that's really what it's all about. We don't have choices a lot of the time uh, when things like this happen. And I, I do, and live in that same boat, it's just a, a different version of it. Um, you know, philcraftsurvival.com, we're gonna try to raise um, $10,000 uh, You know, I got to say, our our family has been blessed in this tragedy. Um, being in this club that you don't want to be in, this Gold Star Club, um, and and being friends with so many of these other Gold Star families um, that haven't had the networking um, that we've had. Uh, that haven't had that military support group either because I'm, I'm a prior service guy or whatever the reason being, but, uh, you know, I stay in contact with so many of them because they are, they're struggling. And, um, sadly they haven't had the support, um, that, that we have got. And so with that, you know, I got to say, it could have been much, much more difficult for us. So anytime we can give back and, and try and help other folks out, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's just you're, you're bred with optimism. And that's, that's how, that's the greatest way to look at the world, especially when you can execute and improve people's lives and help people, what you're, what you're doing. PhilCraftSurvival.com will do a, uh, when this podcast airs, if you go on the website, you could uh, pick up a patch all proceeds of the um, the sale of the patch, that's everything, um, will go to the uh, Hunter H.D. Hogan Foundation. And hopefully we can get, you know, 10 scholarships and maybe it doesn't stop and we just keep pushing it. I think it's important. Um, and we need, to, we need to do a lot more. So... If you're listening to this podcast and um, you have the ability to do more, do more. It doesn't have to be a monetary uh, gain. Volunteer, go to the vet center, go to a VA hospital, uh, hug your loved one, do something. Uh, I'll ask you one last question. Um, you have any regrets? No. And I tell people close people um, usually I don't share this much with people um, as far as being a gold star dad um, I have no regrets HD we both knew how, how we felt about each other um, yeah I was dad I was his dad but we were also best friends um there are so many of these gold star spouses, parents that are out there that have the regrets of uh, the what ifs. I should have said this. What if I'd have done this? What, you know? Um, Hunter and I, we were an open book with each other. And uh, so, you know, do I wish he was still here? Well, hell yeah. Um, but, uh, no regrets with with uh, how he lived his life. Um, you know, people. I, I, I've said in the past. I said, you know, through different jobs I've had, through rodeo, through being in the Marine Corps, um, 
and I'm not just beating my chest uh, as a proud dad. Pound for pound, he was the toughest little SOB I've ever met. Yeah, he broke broke his neck riding a saddle bronc horse in Salina, Kansas. Two weeks later, he kills the biggest biggest deer of his life, and uh, in a neck brace and a halo, walking him out to set him next to a tree and telling him, "Don't climb up in that tree stand," and had him on the radio. And you know, we gave, gave him a 40, 45 long colt lever action because I knew it wouldn't be much recoil if the surgeons and doctors would have known that. I'd done that, but yeah, he killed the biggest steer of his life two weeks after breaking his neck. So he had no back down in him. Steve, um, I appreciate you being on the podcast, brother, and coming hey, out here. Thank you for. Uh, letting us uh, get the word out about what we're trying to do um, you know helping kids go to college and helping veterans and especially trying to find a way to help these gold star families that are out there if you guys want to support please go to uh, circlehdrodeo.org um, and this podcast is in memory of your son Hunter Hogan Hoorah <laughs>